Hello, you're listening to Coffee Up, a podcast by Market Lane Coffee. My name is Tyson and today I'm here with Jason, Market Lane's co-founder. Today we're going to introduce a wonderful, uh, delicious and a very special new offering from Guatemala. So Jason, what can you tell us about Santa Clara? Uh, Santa Clara is uh, owned by the Zelaya family. Uh, Ricardo Zelaya is a third generation coffee farmer in Antigua and he has a beautiful farm in just outside of town, basically on the edge of uh, Antigua town. Uh, it's called Santa Clara uh, and it runs basically from street level all the way up the hill up to about 2,400 meters above sea level. Um, Antigua, the town itself, is relatively high altitude, so even the bottom of the farm, I think, is around 1,600 meters above sea level. So I'm sure that for a lot of listeners, this will not be the first time you've heard of Ricardo. We've been very fortunate to be able to serve his coffee for a number of years running at Market Lane. But uh, Jason, what else can you tell us about Ricardo Zelaya? I love Ricardo. He, we visited him so many times in, in Antigua, and every time we go, it's it's a real it's a real pleasure. He he welcomes us like family when we when we come in and and meet him. He's got a beautiful hacienda, beautiful sort of uh, farm estate on his property. He's he's got a, a great personality. He's full of life, and you can tell everyone who works with him respects him a great deal because he's. He's fair and he's very generous. He's got an amazing laugh, which I can still hear, you know, even just thinking about him right now. <laughs> and uh, I mean, we, we started working with him because he's a great coffee producer, but um, he's become a really great friend of, of ours. Um, and, that, and that's why we continue to, to work with him now. So it sounds like there's no doubt Ricardo is a pretty wonderful human. But uh, getting back to the coffee, uh, how does it taste? What can people expect? Well, this is this coffee is really defined by the the variety that that is grown. So on Santa Clara, they grow Bobon, Boboncito, Catura, um, and a small amount of Pacamara, but also a small amount of Geisha. And Geisha is a, a a variety that's come into a bit more prominence recently because of its cut profile. It has a very very floral, aromatic, uh, sweet uh, taste in the cup, and it's a really uh, it's a really it's a variety which really shows its character uh, very easily through the, you know almost no matter where it's where it's grown. Is there a particular part of Santa Clara which Ricardo has dedicated to this coffee? So Ricardo selected a, a very nice part of the farm. He's got he's got avocado trees right at the top. So at twenty four hundred meters, he's got avocado trees that a small plot which. He chuckles that are more difficult to grow than coffee, and he's always, he's always threatening to rip them out. <laughs> um, but below the avocados, he's got a plot of about three hectares of um, of geisha variety, and he's found that this high altitude, um, this fairly shaded sort of area, suits the geisha variety really well. Um, and he gets a very nice cup out of it. It's uh, like I was saying, it's really lemony, very jasminey, very floral, very sweet. So you mentioned that a lot of this coffee's character comes from its variety. What can you tell us about the geisha variety? Um, the geisha variety is originally from Ethiopia, um, as, as all coffee is, but there's been a couple of different strains around, around the world. The, probably the most famous one is from uh, the Peterson family in, in Panama. Uh, and they came to prominence by winning a couple of, uh, a couple of excellence competitions with this very distinctive variety that, that they called geisha. Um, the, the reason it's called geisha is, or geisha, is that they trace the original beans back to a, a variety survey um, that was picking uh, coffee from different sort of 
exotic looking trees and this particular lot came from outside of a small village called Gesha in Ethiopia. So if this coffee variety takes its name from the small village of Gesha, why is it that we're more likely to see it spelt and pronounced as Geisha? I think that he started calling it Geisha with an I uh, to make it sound more, more exotic or more common to the English ear. Uh, but actually, the, the name of the town is more appropriately spelled Gesha, so G-E-S-H-A. Uh, so we've we've chose to we've chosen to to spell the the variety in that way from I think from last year onwards. So you mentioned earlier that there are a couple of different varieties that share the Gesha name, the most notable of which coming from Hacienda Esmeralda in Panama. But now this Gesha variety from Santa Clara isn't from Panama, I don't believe. So um. Where is this Gesha variety from? Uh, Ricardo's um, Gesha is a different, a slightly different variety. So the, the provenance of this is a little bit less well known. It's from an agronomist friend of his who, um, who had about 500 seeds of a Malawi type Gesha, uh, which again, um, they believe was surveyed from around the Gesha area, um, but planted more widely in Malawi. Um, so this Malawi Gesha is uh, it's a different uh, uh, sort of a different uh, genetic strain to the to the Panama geisha, but it does share a lot of the same qualities. So it's it's still that really sort of lemon floral jasminey um, cup when it's grown in the in the right way. So it sounds like we're working with a pretty remarkable variety that's got loads of potential. But as we know in coffee, the way in which it is handled and processed can have a really significant impact on how the coffee represents in the cup. What is Ricardo doing differently with this lot and how is he making sure that he's getting the best out of this incredible coffee? Uh, well, firstly, the, the coffee um, has to be handpicked. Um, Ricardo has a, a special well, a team of people he calls special pickers and he likes to send them through first to, to make sure that they get um, the best sort of pass at the coffee so they don't pick off too many unripes, they don't pick off too many um, overripes. They, they do a, a really nice first pass. Um, these special pickers get paid a, a premium and they're usually people who um, have, have come through every year for, you know, for the past five, six years, who come back to Santa Clara because they get paid a, a special rate by Ricardo um, and because the, the working conditions are, are really um, positive for them. So it's handpicked. Um, the coffee's then um, brought to the cherry loader. Um, into the loader, uh, it goes down into a, a pulper. They call it an aqua pulper because it uh, uses water to move the cherries around. The coffee's pulped and then fermented um, in sort of maybe a thousand litre concrete vats. Uh, and then it's washed, uh, density sorted, and taken out to dry straight away. Um, Ricardo has built these beautiful greenhouses to protect his coffee from, from any moisture through the night. So the coffee dries really evenly. Um, he has, I think each greenhouse has like six levels and each level has a, a tray that's, you know, maybe a square meter. Um, and the coffee sits in the tray. It's only about two centimeters thick the whole way along the tray. So it's a really even way of, of drying the coffee. Um, and because it's a greenhouse, the air sort of circulates naturally. So the the coffee starts at the at the top and moves its way down as it gets drier and drier. From there, once the coffee is close to being the right um, humidity or the right um, uh, moisture level, 
Um, it then goes into to bags to let it rest, and it re it's rested in um, in this parchment uh, until it's ready for export. So once it's in parchment, it's ready for you know for tasting, and that's that's the time that we'll we'll have our first taste of the coffee. Uh, to take it out of the parchment, um, Ricardo has to put it through his dry mill, and his dry mill will do a number of things to the coffee to to sort of refine the refine the coffee. So it'll go through a density sorting chamber a table. Um, it'll go through a laser color sorter so that'll drop out any uh, discolored um, green beans so they could be affected by you know a little bit of insect damage or they could be affected by a, a cut in the you know the pulp could cut the bean and damage it in that way um, so it goes through a laser sorter the density tables um, and then it goes through a screening machine so it's all screened it's all ready to be bagged up and um, put into grain pro and then exported clearly there's a lot of work going into this coffee is Ricardo exploring any experimental processing methods like uh, honey or a natural processing for this Gesha coffee? Not for this particular lot. Uh, Ricardo does do a lot of experiments. Uh, he, he has done some anaerobic fermentations. Um, uh, he's done quite a lot of natural processing and he's worked a lot to, to refine his, um, his method of uh, natural process. Uh, typically it's not commonly done in Central America because it's very susceptible to, to mold or to spoilage. So they have to be really careful when they do it to firstly not do, not do experiments with too much coffee because obviously it could spoil um, a whole large lot. Um, but they also have to be careful to control the, the ambient conditions as much as possible. So the humidity, the temperature and the airflow as well. Yeah, he spent quite a lot of time on the natural process because that's been the most popular. And, and every year it gets better. So, On last week's podcast, we touched on a few of Guatemala's key coffee-producing regions, one of which being Antigua. But given that you've spent a fair bit of time there over the years on coffee-buying trips, what can you tell us about Antigua? Well, it's very beautiful. So it's, a, it's, a, it's about an hour and a half drive from Guatemala City. So it's relatively close to... Uh, you know, to the airport, to the central city um, in Guatemala, but basically an hour and a half um, southwest, uh, um, and you get to uh, the volcano region. If you keep going that direction another two or three hours, you get to the coast. Um, so from the top of Santa Clara, you can actually see um, a little bit of the, the coast. Uh, Antigua itself is surrounded by three large volcanoes um, and they act to create a, a very sort of uh, still microclimate in Antigua. So there's rarely a lot of wind in Antigua. Um, usually it's, you know, just a beautiful 24 degrees, sunny, um, quite cold at night. Um, they can get some frosts in some of their lower parts like uh, um, San Agustin or Jauja, which are two other farms that Ricardo manages. Um, they can get a little bit of frost there because um, they're sitting pretty much in a valley of, even though they're at 1,600 metres above sea level, they're pretty much at a valley of the, the three volcanoes um, and, and the frost can tend to sit in those, in those lower areas. Uh, Santa Clara itself is, is fairly uh, immune to the frost because they're on, a, uh, they're on a hill and the farm actually peels around uh, one side of the, the, um, the edge of the volcano. So it does have a little bit of a little bit more wind and it's a little bit higher up, so there's, there's no frost there. Um, but it's a, it's a very special town. It's a, it's a historic town. It's a beautiful place to stay. Flora and I stayed there um, for our entire trip last year when we went in March. Uh, we sort of based ourselves there and, um, yeah, spent a lot of time with Ricardo, which was great. 
So something else which sets Antigua apart is that it is a trademarked coffee-growing region, which you don't really see too much of. Uh, Firstly, how did this come about? And I guess more importantly, what kind of an impact does this have for the coffee producers in Antigua? That's right. It is trademarks. A lot of the, it's quite a small region and a lot of the producers obviously, um, they're fairly close. So they they all know basically how much coffee they produce. And uh, maybe 10 years ago, they did the sums and worked out that there was a lot more Antiguan coffee being sold in the market than was being produced. <laughs> so they they worked out that somewhere someone was, you know, uh, mislabeling their coffee as coffee from Antigua. And most likely they would do this because Antiguan coffee in the sort of, you know, commodity sort of market has got a, a, a premium attached to it in the same way that, you know, Blue Mountain or, um, you know, other other... Um, other coffees with sort of famous names would, would, would attract a premium. So they formed their own trademark. They, they went and um, they developed a, a brand, which is, you know, Genuine Antigua. And they have a list of basically who produces coffee in the, you know, Antigua region. Um, they have to verify how much coffee they produce back to this um, central sort of um, organization or the central sort of board. And they keep track of um, how much coffee is is produced. And it's all done to sort of protect the name so that uh, it's not possible for someone to be selling coffee that's labeled as Antigua unless it's actually from Antigua. So it's really great. It protects the, protects the region. It protects the quality. And it means that if you're buying coffee, you know, labeled as Antigua, it's, it's definitely from there. So we know that the labor required on a coffee farm or pretty much any farm for that matter will swell during the peak harvest time. Therefore, producers like Ricardo will rely heavily on seasonal workers to help during these busy periods. How does Ricardo manage this? And to his credit, how is he able to get so many of the same people to come back and work for him year after year? It's difficult for sure. Um, Labour shortages in Guatemala are one of the big barriers in in coffee production. Um, A lot of the labour that um, picks coffee in Central America is um, transient. So there'll be family groups from Peru or family groups from um, Ecuador or poorer parts of um, South and Central America who are migrating with the the harvest of crops like coffee um, to, to get an income just over that season. And then they'll return home um, to, to basically live off that income that they've made over the, the last um, four months or five months or so. Um, so Ricardo, um, basically, he, he pays his pickers uh, quite a bit more than, um, than other producers in the area or other producers in Guatemala. Um, and he does this so that he can um, attract them back to the farm and, and to entice them back. He's done a couple of uh, social social programs as well to encourage people to come back and, and work work for him on his farm. Um, so there's a Santa Clara Scholarship Fund, which we've supported for a number of years, um, and that basically that that um, the scholarship itself it it funds uh, learning equipment, um, school fees, books, uh, clothes, anything that someone might need to um, to have their child attend school. The scholarship fund really does help um, a lot of kids uh, who, who are children of the workers on the farm. So I think at the moment there's around 30, 30 children in the program. Um, and we're, we're proud to support that. We've been supporting it from, um, from uh, attendance fees from the cuppings that we hold, but also from the coffee bag sales. And then we do ad hoc fundraisers from, from time to time. 
So it is often said that what goes together grows together. And I guess now we can all trace our avocado on toast and coffee (laughs) sharing back to Antigua. Yeah. But with that being said, haven't they actually traced the origins of the world's most popular avocado, the Hass avocado, back to Antigua? It did. They did. uh, I think the University of California had a test plot in Antigua um, on a farm that we have coffee from. We we actually just had coffee from, a farm called Halha. We we did it for our coffee club just recently. Uh, And in this test plot, they had a number of different um, types of, I think they were just different um, cross types of avocado. They were testing a number of different types. Uh, and they developed, and one of them uh, tasted great. It grew really well, and that's the the Haas avocado. And and the the Halha farm still has it has coffee, but also has these giant, overgrown, sort of mangy looking avocado trees, sort of towering over it. But I think they're some of the original uh, trees that were were planted to develop the Haas variety. Well, Jason, thanks so much for taking some time out of your day to talk with us about Santa Clara. If you are interested in either trying this coffee or serving it in your shop, we would recommend that you get in quick as we don't have too much of this coffee and we also don't expect it's going to last for too long. Yeah, that's right. We're not limiting how much we're roasting. So once it's it's gone, it's gone for, for this year. So yeah, get in and enjoy it. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Coffee Up, a podcast by Market Lane Coffee. We hope that you enjoyed this. If you have any questions or you wanted to get in touch, you can email me at tyson at marketlane.com.au. Otherwise, we hope you're all doing okay and we look forward to catching up for coffee soon.